Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Well, we come to the end of Mark, and we get to verse 8, and this is how the book ends. And by the way, I believe that Mark ends in verse 8, 9 through 20 is a scribal edition, so it's not included in this, in our study. I don't think it's original. So we're not going to get into that. I was thinking when I started, Mark, that we do a whole talk on that subject, but you will go to sleep if I do it. So for now, just take my word and I'll give you books to read. There's plenty you can read if you want to learn about it. Uh, But I think it ends in verse 8, and if it does, look at what it says. Then they They went out and ran from the tomb, for terror and bewilderment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's the end of the book. And you read that and you realize, wow, this is a little bit of a downer. Uh, And and abrupt. Literarily, it's just incomplete and it seems to raise, if if you've been in this study with us, more questions than it answers. It's just inconclusive. Emotionally, it's just unsatisfying. It doesn't feel like an Easter text at all. Jesus doesn't make an appearance. In the other Gospels, at least Jesus shows up. And all of this explains why there are two different endings to Mark, two two additional endings than this one. Because some scribe was reading it and said, that is not how we're going to end this. And added something. And just took from the other Gospels and took a little bit from Acts. uh, To try to clean it up a little bit. Because we're left hanging. We're left wondering. A couple of things. Like, well, what's going to happen now? I mean, if this is, I believe Mark was the first Gospel written. So if you're thinking of it in terms of that, you're going, okay, well, what's going to happen to the whole thing now? Uh, is this it? Will anyone ever know that Jesus rose from the dead? Because they're afraid and quiet. Is is anyone going to go meet Jesus again? Will anyone meet him again? Those are the sort of the questions. But these questions are really the point if you understand why Mark ended the book here. And it's a very subtle power of this cryptic ending, because it engages the reader. It forces the reader to enter the story, to reflect on your own fear and silence. And you ask the question, hey, I've walked this whole journey. I've been through this whole journey. Did I miss something along the way? Because every disciple who has fear and silence ought to ask, did I miss something along the way? What kind of disciple am I? I read uh, sort of a newer commentary. I wish I had had it from the beginning, but I didn't get it until later in the study of Mark. But it's just been incredible. And uh, he quotes a fellow who, in chapter, regarding chapter 16 and this sort of crazy ending, and the guy writes this, and you l- listen closely because I think it's right on. He says, is there anyone else who might, after all, be a faithful disciple? 
Throughout the story, there's been a non-participant observer who has been with Jesus in every scene. The narrator has permitted the reader to be with Jesus the whole time. That's us. We've been with Jesus the whole time, from the beginning to the end. The reader heard the voice of God declaring Jesus to be his son at the beginning of the book when no one else heard it. The reader was present with Jesus when he was in the wilderness, tested by Satan, when no one else was there. When family rejected him, the reader persisted. When religious leaders, crowds, and disciples misunderstood and abandoned Jesus, the reader stood by him. And when the inner circle went to sleep in Gethsemane, oblivious to Jesus' plea to watch with him for one hour, the reader stayed awake and heard Jesus' anguished prayer. When the disciples fled and were absent at the cross, the reader was present. When Jesus cried out to God in abandonment, the reader was still there. Now, the readers stand at the brink of this incomplete narrative in which all have failed, and with terrible restraint, the narrator breaks off the story and leaves the readers who may have thought the story was about somebody else. Leaves them with a decision to make. It leaves them with a decision to make. Now, maybe it'll be You say, what decision? What are we talking about here? Well, maybe for the first time you're going to make a decision to follow Christ. Maybe you need to start over. Just just wipe clean where you've come and where you've been and start over. Uh, Because maybe like the scribes, you're dissatisfied with your spiritual life. And you'd like a different ending. Maybe this time you want to learn it right. Because you never quite got the hang of following Jesus. G.K. Chesterton said, very familiar quote, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. You say, well, how do you go back? Because I'd like a do-over when it comes to discipleship. Well, like most changes in our lives, there's a stop and a start. There's something you got to stop and there's something you got to start. And the text, Mark 16, gives us both. It gives us both. The first one is you got to stop relating to Jesus like he's still in the tomb. That's the first one. I want you to see... Uh, 16, 1 to 3. So when the Sabbath was over, so you can see that uh, Saturday has come and gone, which was the Sabbath. And now it's early Sunday morning. And so the ladies feel like they can, they can do something now. So they're sort of, what you see is they're just sort of doing what they've always done. They're still going through the same routine they've always gone through. Of course, it was demanded of them, but it just still signals, all right, they're still dealing with the Sabbath. Then Mary and Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus. And now look at, uh, so you got them making sure they, the right time. They can't get to Jesus until this is over. And then they got to go shopping because you can't shop on Sabbath. 
So they go shopping, they get these, these spices, and they go to anoint Jesus. And then it's early on the first day of the week, so they got to set their alarms. Uh, then they go to the tomb, and then you see them chatting with one another, asking a very, very practical question. It turns out to be a very philosophical question at the same time, but not in their minds. And so what you have here is this... Uh, They're keeping the Sabbath, shopping, setting alarms. They're dutiful. They have their anointing and spices. And this is what you're supposed to do to a dead guy. You're supposed to anoint him. You're supposed to put this smelly stuff on him. Just prolongs sort of the, the, the death stink. So it's a very religious, dutiful thing to do. It feels very much, it feels very much like going to church and being nice. This is exactly what it would look like. This is what you do. It's not transforming. It's religious and it's dutiful, but it isn't life-changing at all. All it does is keep something dead from smelling. And the truth is, sometimes our faith, sometimes our spiritual life, and yours might be here right now, it's just something you're doing some deep, so you're doing some spiritual things to try your best to keep something that's dead from smelling. And that's what happens when your faith just gets religious and sort of dutiful. And it's not, it's not a new life at all. That's why in Luke chapter 24 and verse 5, when, Jesus, when the angels, the very sarcastic, all the angels are sarcastic. Uh, why are you visiting the living among the dead? That's what he says. Why are you visiting the living among the dead? It's a great question. And I know why we would all say it. Why has our spiritual life turned into just some routine like we're following a dead guy who did something great in the past and can do nothing for me today? Why are we following him like that? Well, how would we answer that question? We would say, well, it just seems like the thing to do to go to church. It just seems like the thing to do. It's honorable. It's still heartfelt. It feels respectful. but it's not vibrant, and it isn't alive. It's nothing to what Jesus is calling us to. And that's why you see him chit-chatting, and you see at the end of this thing, they're asking this question as they're walking. Here it is, just dawn. I mean, there's some light, it's dark, and you can't really see great, but there's some light appearing. And they're talking to each other, and here's what they're saying to each other, these ladies. And only Mark records this. Okay, so it's, it's just very interesting. Yeah, who's going to roll the stone away for us? Which is sort of a, you know, literarily in Mark, that's a dig because it's like, where are the guys? It reminds every single one of us, the, the guys are gone. It just reminds the reader, at the end of this great moment, no one's around. And so you have this sort of insightful, because Mark's so real. Mark would mention this, okay? It's really a comical way to add dramatic tension to the story because the reader already knows some things. You know, they're worried, how are we going to get to his dead body to honor his dead body? That's the kind of questions. When, you, when your faith is dead and you're worshiping a God who's really dead to you in so many ways as it refers to real life, That's the kind of question you ask. 
How are you going to get to the dead body? Well, as we're going to see, this is literally going to be the least of their worries, is how that stone is going to be rolled away. And Edwards, another commentator that I love, said, The living are consumed with death. The crucified one is consumed with life. They just have this sort of death-like, just a faith that has faded out. Maybe your spiritual life could be described with some of these words. You're hesitant. Wrote. Careful. Resistant. Flat. Failing. Weak. Quiet. Well, they get to the tomb, and when they get there, the stone is gone. This is their biggest problem. The stone is gone. And see, here comes the great moment in this text where the problem with a flat faith gets solved. Because Jesus solves the simple problem of rolling the stone away. Very simple problem. Then as they go into the tomb, they obviously see a young man dressed in a white robe, an angel sitting on the side, and he says, don't be alarmed. Of course, this would be alarming. It's, again, a sarcastic angel in my opinion. But They're sarcastic, and they're very realistic. They're so, they're so used to the supernatural reality, it doesn't, that they look at us and just go, what? You can't see that? You can't tell that? You can't hear that? That's just how they are. And I love that about them because they do signal that sometimes we are hard-headed to see what we should be able to see. Now, he says, the stone is gone. And then he says, the tomb is empty. He's not here. Jesus has been raised. So the stone is gone and the tomb is empty. That means that in this text, the question that Mark has inserted, who's going to roll the stone away, which is both a practical question and a philosophical question, both get asked here. Like, who's going to roll the stone away that separates this reality from the next reality? Who's going to open up eternal reality for you? Because who rolls the stone away? It's a philosophical question in that regard. It's a practical question on, yeah, but it's also a philosophical question. And the text here, the angel, really answers both. Because the stone is gone, that practical problem is solved. And the tomb being empty erases the philosophical problem of how do you get to God? And is there an eternal life? Is there an eternal reality? God handled both problems in a much bigger way than they ever anticipated. And now, and now, and now, they have bigger problems on their hands. They got a live Jesus running around. That's a problem. Hey, listen, if he's dead, hey, a few nice things, some spices, a little shopping, set alarm, show up. That's easy. Who couldn't do that? 
But for many of us, that describes the spiritual life we have. But now, now look what he says. Jesus the Nazarene, remember the the guy from nowhere? And remember the guy who was killed, the dead guy? The dead guy from nowhere has been raised. He is not here. And then Mark's favorite phrase in this whole book is, look, see. Look at the place where they laid him. I know that's where he should be. (laughs) Look over there, because that's where he should be. But he's not there anymore. So it means... Here's what the angel's saying. You cannot relate to him in a tomb anymore. Cannot get away with anointing and spices. They're not going to cut it. It's It's an overwhelming message. The boundaries have been busted. Religious and dutiful stuff, it doesn't even make sense to bring spices anymore. Because he's, he's free of death. And the scriptures say he's the God of the living. He's the God of the living. If you're going to follow him, you're going to have to come alive because he's alive. It's going to have to be a living, vibrant faith. And so now, their biggest problem is not how the stone's going to get rolled away. It's now that it is, how are we going to come to terms with life? Eternal reality has now been opened to us. It's accessible. And so the first thing you have to do is you've got to start, stop relating to Jesus like he's dead. And the second thing is, I think the text tells us, is you've got to start back at the beginning. You've got to start back at the beginning. And that's verse 7. Look what the angel says to them, because really the, the, the heart of these eight verses is right here what this angel says. This is the heart, verse 7. Go, tell his disciples, even Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and you will see him there just as he told you. There's so much in this. Because now we realize that the resurrection is not just an announcement. Notice, the resurrection is an invitation. It's an invitation to start. And to these disciples, it's an invitation to start over. Meet me back here where the whole thing started. So first he says, and there's three elements of this starting over. Three elements. First one is, go tell the disciples and Peter. Well, here's what we know about disciples and Peter. They're failures. They've, they've blown it. And the reason he mentions Peter. Peter was the very first disciple mentioned in the book of Mark. And Peter is the last. Mark is doing it in a number of ways. I don't have time to get to all of them. There's lots of cues in these eight verses that take you back to the beginning. And it's a way to say, you know, Peter, I know you started out one way, but you ended up another. Let's go back and start over. 
And the beautiful thing about this message, it's a message of grace. It's a message to every single one of us who would say, how did I let my faith get flat? How in the world that, did I get to a point where my heart doesn't beat fast around lost people anymore? How did I get to a point where everything is wrote, where reading the Bible just seems like I, I, I'd rather listen to anyone speak to me except God? And when it comes to obedience, oh my Lord, there's a few things I can do, but the rest of it seems absolutely impossible. Ask me to do something adventurous for God, I fall apart. Scared to death. How does a faith get like that? Well, it can. And here's, here's the great news about the resurrection, is you can start over. If your faith got like that, you say, well, I failed miserably. You wouldn't believe some of the things I got trapped in while my faith was flat. You can get out of that. You just got to go back to the beginning and start over. See, they didn't realize who he was. They didn't realize what he accomplished. They were disillusioned. They were burned out. And Jesus says, this is a great line. This is really a great line right here. He says, Jesus says, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to make the way. You remember how the book started out? Here's another back to the beginning. The book started out with John the Baptist saying, I will, God saying, I will prepare the way of the Lord. And now here's the Lord saying, I'm going to prepare a way for you. I'll go ahead of you. You follow me. That's discipleship. You can't just run to the tomb anymore and anoint it with spices, try to make it smell good. No, 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 no. Now you've got to trek all the way back to Galilee following him and be willing to start this whole journey over again. And then verse 7, he said, where are we going? Well, we're going back to Galilee. This is where I first called you. Let me take you back to where I first called, where you first met me. Go back to where you first met me. And here's Jesus literally saying, let me call you to begin again. Begin again. A renewed journey of discipleship. Yoke yourself to me now in the way you should have from the get-go. And let me teach you the ways of the kingdom. Remember what Galilee represented? It represented adventure, compassion, sacrifice, service, learning, following Christ every single step, being amazed at what he could do, trying things out, doing stuff in the kingdom where you were wondering what is going to happen. What was the last time you felt a sense of awe and surprise and hope in what God could accomplish in and through you? as opposed to just constantly afraid and flat. And now your faith has gotten to a point where you couldn't even really call it faith because you don't trust him to do anything. You don't think he can do anything spiritual. And that gets you in this death-like existence where all you're consumed with is this world instead of the other reality. And I can just hear Peter in my head going, because you're wondering at the end of Mark, will Peter go? Because you don't know. At the end of Mark, you don't know. But you can hear Peter sort of echo of his voice earlier in the book where he says things like, uh, well, Lord, where else are we going to go for eternal life? I mean, you're the only one. Who else is risen from the dead? Who else would you follow? Who else are you going to follow if it isn't him? That's the great question. Someone who rose from the dead or not? What do I tell you every Easter? If we're picking teams... And there's a guy who rose from the dead. I'm picking you first. 
That's it. I'm following the guy who rose from the dead, who opened up eternal reality. Why would I follow anyone else? Yes, it's a long trek back to Galilee. It's a rehearsal of everything I thought I knew. You just got to do it. Because discipleship is living an eternal kind of life. That's what Jesus was inviting them to now. Now that he had risen from the dead, it was an eternal kind of life. He was not waiting. Jesus could easily have said, you cowardly, faithless monkeys, I'll see you in heaven because you're useless here. He could have said that. Wait till you get to heaven, then you'll really understand all that I said. No, 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 no. He said, you get your behinds back to Galilee. I'm going to bury your faces in it again. And you're going to learn that, yes, it's not just me sacrificing. It's going to be you too. It's not going to be me serving. It's going to be you too. That's the eternal kind of life that we are supposed to be living. And by God's grace now, we can enter it. So Garland, another commentator, says, it transforms a hopeless end into an endless hope, an eternal reality. You know, our mission state, our vision statement here at Hillside now that we introduced to you earlier, I want to show it to you on the screen you can see it. It's to be a church where every person has an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ that leads to eternal living now. That's discipleship. And the reason we state it that way is because we know that a lot of believers just sort of are hoping that, there's a, that when you come to Christ, you can put off a lot of things till the future. As if God doesn't expect anything great of you. As that once you die, there'll be a different kind of life. No, Jesus is saying there's a kind of life you should be living it now. So that his will and his ways are carried out in your everyday life, community, and worlds right where you're at right now. That's discipleship. We've been telling you that we're going to revamp and refocus and retool our discipleship process. And that's what we're doing. And so this text here leads right into the question that we're going to start asking around here. We want it to become just a part of our everyday living experience together as a body. What's your next step? Because that is the question at the end of Mark. Well, what should I do? And we have some specific next steps. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. You've been been sort of following a dead guy, really. He He hasn't come into your life and transformed you. You don't know what it means to receive his love and forgiveness and surrender your life to him. You've never done that. Or maybe you've been saved and you've never been baptized. That's your next step. That's a critical step, Hillside. It's a critical step because it identifies with you with the community. You can no longer be isolated anymore. You've identified with Jesus, then you've identified with his church. There's no, it's just me and Jesus. That baptism step says it's not just about me. And then there's community, which would naturally flow right out of that, connected to people who are going to help you grow spiritually. You can't do it alone. Tell the disciples and Peter, not just Peter, it's got to be a group. Got to do it together. And then you got to serve. Listen, you've got to serve. Something has to be at stake in the kingdom that's in your hands. 
whether you're greeting at the door and the eyes of someone who's never been to church before are going to come through and your eyes are going to meet them, whether it's that or whether you're serving that same person coffee or whether you're teaching them in a class, you've got to find a way to make your life significant and contribute to the kingdom of God. You cannot wake up every day. You've got to wake up with that wonder of, oh God, what are you going to do in and through me today? You've got to wake up with that or your faith will get flat. So maybe your next step is just to find what that is. But to partner with Hillside will be another step. You've attended the church, but you've never really connected to it and owned it. You said, I want a piece of the action here. Show me what I can do to make Hillside a better place. A more vibrant community, more loving, more serving, more giving. What can I do? If that's not in your life, it's flat. You're setting alarms and you're anointing dead stuff. Maybe it's your way past that, your time to lead. And I'll tell you, the truth is, and we've been discussing this now for a long time, is that there are a lot of you who could be helping other people in this. You've, you know enough. You, you, you know a lot. You've been around enough, but you've never, ever taken another person to another step in their spiritual life. I'll tell you another reason why spiritual lives get flat. It's because we stop helping other people grow. I'll tell you what, get in a group with a guy. Get in a group with a gal where it's on you to help them understand some things. And watch what happens to your faith. That's why Jesus said when he left, go make disciples. Do not sit around. Do not turn this into a coming and worshiping a dead guy. Take somebody to the next place. Beginning again for you means teach me how to teach someone else. We've created, you know, the four, four new classes. They're called Go Classes. You're going to go discover, you're going to go further, you're going to go serve, and you're going to go partner. And those classes are just designed to do all the things that I'm describing to you here. So if you've, so here's really the challenge. If you've never been discipled like that, if nobody's ever grabbed a hold of you and said, let me show you how to memorize Scripture. Let me show you how to put Scripture into your life. Let me show you how to do the things that you're afraid of doing right now because no one's ever shown you. Listen, if it's something you've never done or been shown how to do, you're afraid to do it. There's a, very, there's a handful of people in here who aren't afraid to do anything. They mess up a lot of stuff. The ones who are fearful, they're just scared to try. Whether it's fixing the clog in your... Uh, oh, what is that thing in your sink? No, oh, that thing that chews up food. The disposal. How many of you panic? Oh, it's clogged. What do you do? Hey, there's two tricks to that. If no one's ever shown you what they are, you're paralyzed, and you'll never use it again. But there's two tricks to that. And you're going to have to get into a discipleship class for me to tell you what they are, because I ain't going to tell you. (laughs) Uh, this past, past week ago, uh, one of our guys, Roy, 
who's got cancer, was uh, just experienced some seizures, and they rushed him to the hospital. They ended up having to take him to UT Southwestern. He's got cancer in one of his kidneys, and they knew it would metastasize to other places, and he's been living with that reality, and it's something he lives with. And they knew at some point it would metastasize to his brain, and while they were in there, they took an MRI, and they found something on his brain. They don't necessarily know for sure what it is. So they admitted him in the hospital to run tests and have him in there last week. And uh, I don't know if you, you may not know Roy, but he's one of these guys who has a very vibrant faith. You don't know he's sick. And so uh, when they came in to give him the news of that, the doctor was sort of nervous about it, telling them that. But he was, or she, I think, was utterly shocked by the response of them because they know God has this. They know what God has done. He's risen from the dead. There's no, there's no need to be fearful. And one of the guys taking care of him, his name was Isaiah. And right now, Roy's on our leadership team and is a part of this whole thing over the last number of months, is looking to disciple somebody. And when this guy told him his name was Isaiah, which you don't want to tell Roy, your name's Isaiah, because Roy's going to say, do you know the other Isaiah? And that's what happened. And it started a conversation, and Roy's taking that thing down a spiritual thing. And there were two things that came out of that. It really hit me at the end of this text. He's not fearful, and he's not silent. Discipleship to Jesus is not afraid, and it's not silent. How can you be afraid or silent when you worship the person who has risen from the dead? That's what discipleship is. And this text ends with Jesus symbolically waiting in Galilee for anyone who either wants to start for the first time to follow him the way he intended it, or for the guy who's been doing it or the gal who's been doing it for some time but it has not worked and would like to start this thing over. How many of you wish somebody would have trained you on some things spiritually better than they did after you gave your life to Christ? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Do you know why? I don't even have time to tell you why. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, this church wants to take some of you whose hands are raised, and you know enough, and we could take you, show you a few things, and teach you how to help a couple of other people come along. You could be in on that process. You could be one of the ones you wish would have been in your life. Or you're one of the ones who say, listen, I've never, I've just gotten into this thing, and I'd like somebody to do it for me. That's all Hillside has done, is we've just figured out how to match. The guy who needs it and the guy who needs to be doing it. So, let's stop relating to Jesus like he's dead. And let's start over and learn how to be apprenticed by Jesus Christ in the ways of eternal living now and not wait. We serve a risen Savior. Silence and fear should not be what's dictating our spiritual lives. Father, thank you for your word. Bless this church as we embark on this journey. And over the next few weeks, just tease out what this looks like. I pray with all of my heart, because I know that unless you 
enter into the heart of a person. Grab a hold of them right now. They'll, none of this matters. Until they connect with you, I pray you'll do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.